Okay, welcome back. Uh, I'm just going to kind of skip over the whole, I know it's been a long time since I've done a podcast and we're going to try to get back onto it. So let's see if I can keep it up this time. All right, we're going to talk about applying for the PA cycle next year in 2024. So before anyone panics, if you're still waiting to hear back from a school, if you haven't received your interview invitation yet, don't worry, the cycle is not over. So just be a little bit more patient. September and October happen to be the very busiest months, but the last person we we helped out with an interview prep uh, was for the 22-23 cycle was I think in May or June of this year. So just understand that the interview cycle, it does go on for a long time. So uh, just because we're talking about next year's cycle already doesn't mean that this one is over. It's far from over. As a matter of fact, it's really just getting started. A lot of our applicants are already receiving interview invitations. Uh, on a daily basis, we're being notified by our students who are obviously being notified about their interview invitations. Okay, so that all being said, again, everybody that's still waiting, just calm down. But let's go ahead and talk about the next cycle. For those of you who are thinking of applying next year, uh, whether this is your first cycle or you're reapplying, I, I get a lot of people always asking, is it too early or when is too early or when should I get started? So the simple answer is it's never too early. And I, I literally mean that it's never too early. There are a lot of things that you need to do in order to be a competitive applicant. So let's just go ahead and kind of run down a few of those things. So let's talk about coursework to begin with. There are unfortunately no exact um, list that every school follows. I mean, the traditional, are you going to need biology, chemistry, anatomy, physiology, microbiology? Those are just kind of the basics, but it does vary from school to school as far as whether you're gonna need two biologies, two chemistries, whether your microbiology needs to have a lab or not. But what I would tell you in order to be competitive, you need all of these and you need the most. So when I say the most for biology, you should have two general biology courses and they should have labs. Chemistry, same thing, should have two general chemistry courses and they should have labs. Now, some of the schools that you're looking at, they may say uh, for a second biology, you can have an upper division level course such as genetics or immunology or something like that. And that's true. And that does satisfy the requirement. But also remember that a lot of your other applicants or people that you're competing against will have both biology one and biology two. So if you don't, then you're gonna end up being less competitive. Same goes for chemistry. You should have general chemistry one, gen chem two. Now, if the school is saying they only need one chemistry and they'll look at your upper division, such as organic chemistry or biochemistry to satisfy that second chemistry requirement, you can do that, but like I keep saying, other applicants will have both general chemistry requirements and uh, in addition to the OCHEM or BioCHEM. So again, it, it's a level of competition. So don't do just the minimum. I mean, you, you certainly need to have what a school requires and sometimes there are ways to meet those requirements without going and taking two courses in biology and two in chemistry, but just always be aware of the other candidates likely will have these and that you know, can end up in your application not being as competitive. One of the problems I see very routinely year after year after year, anatomy, physiology, microbiology. 
Okay, just to put it to rest, a separate anatomy and a separate physiology course. That's the way to go. Yes, schools will take combined anatomy and physiology one, anatomy and physiology two. Of course, these need to be with labs. But the preference for every school is a separate anatomy and a separate physiology course. Now, I do realize that this is not offered by every school. So sometimes you're going to run into that kind of problem. Uh, but again, ideally, if, if given the option, if you have it available to you, I would recommend taking a separate anatomy with a lab, a separate physiology with a lab. The other problem we see very commonly with these courses are uh, lately there's a lot of like anatomy for healthcare professionals or anatomy for allied health or anatomy for nursing or you know anything other than just straight up human anatomy. And the same goes for physiology as well as, of course, microbiology, microbiology for medical professionals, microbiology for allied health, and etc. You really need to avoid these courses. They're not going to be considered uh, competitive at the very least, but more than likely the schools may not, have, may not even accept them to satisfy that school's requirement because they're, they're not of the, the level that they're looking for. Uh, you know, if you're taking an uh, anatomy for allied health. It's not the same as just straight up human anatomy course. Hopefully it's sort of a goes without saying thing, but I'll just go ahead and say it. It's never take anything that says introductory. Now that I've said that, I know people are probably going to email me back and say, well, that's all my university offers. And I understand that. Now, sometimes it is just the name. Uh, maybe that's the way they call it, but it actually does satisfy the requirements as required by any program. Before, before you sign up, you should always check with a program, see if that is going to satisfy their requirements. There are some schools that actually don't even offer the courses that you're going to need, and you may need to go to, say, a local community college. And if that's the case, then that is what you're going to have to do. I, I hear this all the time from students say, well, this is all my university offered. And I understand that, but unfortunately, the schools don't are not going to overlook this. They're not going to count that or, you know, make an exception. If your school doesn't offer the right course, then you will need to look at an uh, outside source like a community, local community college. But anatomy, physiology, microbiology, these are the what we call the core science classes. These are the ones that are going to make up the biggest uh, part of their decision when looking at your academics as far as how you're going to succeed in a PA program. So if you didn't do well in these courses, you're absolutely going to need to retake them. Just shouldn't even be a second thought. But again, be very careful about the ones that you're taking. It should be human anatomy, human physiology, and microbiology with a lab. Again, avoid these uh, classes that are for allied health, for medical professionals, for nursing. You know, certainly no introductory courses. Please make sure that you're taking these in person. If it has a lab component, you do not want to take this online. If you've taken it in the past and it was in an online format because it was during the pandemic, this is okay. But we're talking about going forward. So if you're if you're going to be taking these courses upcoming here in the fall or in the winter session, or maybe you're planning now for PA school, maybe two, three years from now, and you're looking at these courses, do not take these online, especially if it has a lab component. Um, the schools are more and more going away from even accepting these. Even if the school states on their website that it is, you know, online courses are accepted. Like a lot of the other things that I have talked about, 
If you're taking it on online format, just remember the other students, most of the other students or applicants have taken it in person and that in and of itself makes you less competitive. Look at your academics. Uh, there are courses out there, some of them that may not be required by a school, but will make you more competitive. If you're not sure about a course, and, but you are really interested in a particular program, reach out to the school. Start talking to them now. Find out if what you're taking now will satisfy their requirements. Of course, this is part of what we do in our service here at PA Mentor. We can look through your academics and let you know what is going to be accepted. Chances are probably most of what you're taking is. But often, again, we hear from students that will say, like, this is what my pre-health career counselor advised. You know, we have a pre-health advisor at our university. And unfortunately, if they weren't working on the board of a PA program, they may not be aware of some of these little subtleties that I've mentioned. Uh, unfortunately, I've run into students routinely who tell me, well, this is what I was, I was told to take. But Sometimes it's bad advice. Take a look at your coursework. Um, look at what, you know, the ones that you're taking to ensure that they do meet the requirements. I just talked about the very basics, of course. There are other courses such as organic chemistry, biochemistry, genetics. Most schools these days want a math class. A lot of them these days want an English writing class, a composition course. Uh, medical terminology, really, whether your school requires it or not, is just something you should take. Of course, there are other coursework or other courses that would make you stand out as a competitive candidate. You could sign up and talk to us about that, and we'd be more than happy to guide you in terms of your academics. Okay, let's talk about patient care experience because this is another key component of any applicant. There are a lot of hours that do count, but they're not all equally competitive. Hopefully, it's obvious, but if not, the the best hours that you could possibly gain are where you're working directly with a physician assistant. Uh, we get a lot of students who say like are CNAs and most of their experience is working on a hospital floor. And I'm not saying these hours don't count. I, I wanna go back and say there are a lot of hours that count, but there's a difference between what counts and what's competitive. For a competitive uh, patient care experience, usually it involves working in family practice, uh, internal medicine, pediatrics, OBGYN, or the emergency room or urgent care. And I know a lot of you are still finishing up undergrad, or you're taking a heavy course, so, so you don't always have the time available. Certainly, maybe you don't have the time like it requires if you are uh, looking for a medical assistant job that you know, works nine to five Monday through Friday, and you may not have that kind of availability. But then that's when you might need to take a job, say like as a scribe or try to pursue a job in urgent care or ER where it's a little bit more flexible in terms of your hours and times. Uh, I've heard people who are getting jobs as scribes that are doing it remotely and I, I'm not even sure that this even counts as patient care experience. It'll probably count as healthcare experience, which those hours certainly are not going to be as competitive as patient care experience hours. But uh, if you are working as a scribe, we do not recommend doing this remotely because you're not seeing the nuances in terms of the interaction between the provider and the patient. Uh, you're not spending time with them in between the patient to learn things about the drugs, the test, the exams, how they interview patients. There's there's a lot, I should be very obvious, of what you're going to gain by working with somebody directly versus somebody virtually. I don't think this is a very common thing. We just run into it now and then, so I just want to make sure you 
to point out that working virtually like as a scribe is a bad idea. But again, patient care hours. Now, a lot of students get kind of hung up on the number of hours that they have. You spend a lot of time maybe looking at the average student in a program, maybe looking at the, uh, sorry, the student averages to see what everyone has or the typical student has. But what you really just need to focus on is the number of hours required by that particular program. So don't, if a school requires 250 hours, then that's what you need in order to apply. There are other ways to make yourself more competitive. But what you don't want to do is wait until three months before you're applying to try to figure out if what you have are good competitive hours and to try to build up your hours. Whenever you decide to pursue a career as a PA, that's when you need to start. We do recommend jobs as medical assistant, but we don't recommend medical assistant programs. I know that's probably maybe a little confusing, but there are ways to get jobs as a medical assistant even without the medical assistant training. Some places are going to be sticky about that in which they will not offer, uh, you know, provide any job, but there are a lot of places that will give a job even if you're not a certified MA. EMT is a great position that you can take to get other jobs within healthcare. The only reason we really don't recommend MA training is just because of the length and the cost of that. I, I've trained MAs in our office. People have had absolutely no experience in healthcare and it takes about two weeks. So, I don't know why they have these six month long programs other than to charge you a lot of money. So we don't really recommend that unless that's the only way you could possibly go. Let's talk about volunteering. Now, again, this is something that often people wait until the very last minute. They, they know they have to have this on their application. So they'll go out, obtain a few hours or uh, sign up somewhere. Uh, just to kind of check that box. But I, I want to tell you that consistency and longevity in your volunteer is very, very important. So if you're not doing volunteering, start doing it. And if you think it's hard to find volunteering, you're not looking. I, I do know that at, say, at a hospital and a lot of medical facilities, it is often hard to get volunteering because you have to go through it kind of an arduous screening process these days. I mean, sometimes they want you to take tests and background check and orientation, et cetera, just to volunteer. And I, I do understand that that's a little cumbersome. So if you're running into that difficulty, then look for other volunteer opportunities. If you're looking for medical opportunities, go on redcross.org, go on their website and type in your zip code. and You'll find a lot of volunteer opportunities. But even if it wasn't medical, say if you were doing animal shelter, if you're reading to kids, if you're at a food bank, any volunteering is better than no volunteering. So whenever we look at an application, people tell, well, I didn't have time. It's funny how other applicants do. So, you know, whether you're a single parent or you have family you had to take care of, or you're taking a rigorous course load, just remember other students are also in those same situations and they're getting these hours. So to say that you have a reason for not getting it uh, it's not gonna. It's not gonna hold much. So we're not saying that you need hundreds and hundreds or thousands of hours of volunteering, but you do need to have a consistency. Meaning, you should be doing this a couple of times a week. So you need to get out there and do some volunteering. There is volunteering out there. If it's difficult to find medical, then just do any volunteering. Shadowing. Okay. Again, I know it's again very difficult, but uh, you know, either within your own area, wherever you're working. Talk to people, talk to people that know PA, see if somebody can do you a favor. 
it's not that you need, again, hundreds and hundreds of hours of shadowing, but you do need some shadowing. These days, there is a lot of virtual shadowing. Uh, we did quite a bit last year. I'm, we're trying to get some set up for this year. I'm not sure if we will or not. But if you go on YouTube, there is virtual shadowing and you can count that. Um, a lot of local communities actually have PA organizations. Where I live, uh, there is a... Actually, the city I live in now, um, we do have a formal PA organization and it is open for other people to attend. And obviously, that's a great place to meet PAs. Uh, the last city I lived in also had their own PA organization. You might want to look and see if there is a PA group within. You could contact the, late, uh, the state PA society to see if they know of any. Talk to uh, any PA programs that are local if you know of any. Find PAs online, you know, LinkedIn. There are lots of ways to reach out to PAs. I'm not going to guarantee you that they're going to say, oh, yes, come and shadow me. Happy to have you. We know it's difficult. But on the other hand, a lot of people manage to get PA shadowing. So when you say I can't, then just that means other people are going to be picked for an interview or selected for admission. So you've got to go that extra step. We know it's hard, but you're just going to have to do it. Again, it's not that you need hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours, but you do need to show some effort in getting a PA uh, to shadow a PA. As I mentioned, we're talking about next cycle, 24-25 cycle, starting in April of next year. For those who are kind of maybe new to CASPA, if you're not aware, CASPA opens every year in April. It's the end of April. The, the date varies from year to year to year. And while that may seem, like I said, a long time away, it, it really isn't when you're thinking about, do you have all the right coursework? Because if you're missing a class, you don't want to wait until February of next year to figure that out. You know, if you're missing a course... You know, either maybe you can get enrolled in it right now or take it up during the winter uh, semester, but you want to start looking at all of your academics right now. Look at the programs that you're thinking of applying to. Be realistic in the schools that you're applying to. A lot of times we get students who they put together these lists of schools that they want to go to and just not very realistic. Whether you, you know, even if you have a really high GPA, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be able to go to any and every school that you want to. And I'm sure it makes sense to you, but you can only attend one school. Whether you're going to apply to five schools or 10 or even more than 10, in the long run, you're only going to be able to attend one. And it may seem like, uh, you know, a gamble, like which school should I apply to? But look at the ones that you're most interested in. Look and see, are you a competitive candidate? Understand, they're not going to overlook things. If it's a grade, if it's your hours, if you're missing something, then really, there really is no point in applying. They're not going to say, well, they were really close, but I'll, I'll just go ahead and overlook the GPA or I'll go over and I'll overlook the hours that even though they don't meet them, but they were really close because I know this person really, really wants to. The average school has maybe 30, 40 seats, 50 seats, maybe a little bit more for some of them but we're getting thousands of applications every cycle. So it's easy to be very selective when we're getting that number of applications. I didn't mention it, but I'll bring up personal statement. You know, the personal statement is about half of why a school decides to grant an interview. We talk about this all the time. We routinely see students who never got an app, never got an interview. And I have one right now. She's her, her GPA is well over 3.8 and she didn't get an interview last year. And it had, mostly to do with her personal statement. Whereas I have a student right now, she has a 2.76. 
and she has an interview. There are a lot of factors that will make you stand out as a candidate, but it's not something you're going to put together in a week or 10 days. So if you are thinking of applying next year, even if you're thinking of applying in, say, the 25-26 cycle, you really should start looking at things now. Again, I get asked all the time, is it too early to start thinking about it? Like, no, absolutely not. I... We get students who are in their junior year of college who contact us and we work with them throughout the the rest of their academic years until it's time for them to apply. Should you take a gap year or not? Again, that really is up to you. We generally don't recommend it. I mean, if you have everything together, the sooner you apply, the better. Again, don't look at the school averages because it's not a good reflection on what, you know, it doesn't tell the full story. I mean, A lot of students may have more hours than you, but also those students have probably been out of school for a number of years. And maybe you're still, you know, finishing up your second or last year of college. So you're thinking, oh, I don't even meet the average, you know, the average student that applied and got accepted. But again, a lot of those people have been out practicing for several years. So don't use that as a guide. I mean, it just, they're averages. I'm sure you understand what that means. I hope some of this is helpful. The main thing I was just trying to get across is it's never too early. Okay, maybe if you're in high school, that might be a little too early, but we'll still talk to you. Now, seriously, it's never too early. If you're a year out, if you're two years out, now's the time to get started. You could always uh, contact us for a free consult and we can talk to you about our services, explain what we do. Otherwise, if you're ready and you just wanna know where you stand as a candidate, Just visit our website and you can sign up for the general advising session. This is a one-hour, one-on-one meeting with a physician assistant mentor. It'll be done via Zoom and it's just, again, it's you and the PA mentor. We'll go through all the things that I just talked about now. Uh, We'll provide a little bit more detail, a little bit more information about how to accomplish some of these or uh, maybe how to go about your shadowing or the letters that you're going to need and which schools to pick, etc. But if you're ready just to go ahead and jump in, you're ready to get started. You could always contact us for our package plans where we work with you essentially until you are accepted. Uh, Last year, uh, I know we really haven't posted our stats and something I need to get on, but uh, last year we had a great, it was about a 94% success rate. And out of that, uh, 88% were first time applicants. Our top student last year, she applied to 10 programs and was admitted to nine. Uh, of course, that's not everybody, uh, but we did have a number of people who were well below the 3.0 GPA mark who were accepted. For those who were not accepted last cycle, uh, most of them, or yeah, most of them, I would say, have already been admitted this cycle, uh, including somebody who was just admitted on Friday, and this was his third time up. So. If you're interested in working with us, just sign up for the free consult and we'll schedule a, uh, you know, a quick phone call where we can talk to you about what we can do and how we'd work with you. Uh, if you're ready to sign up, then just go to our website and sign up for the package plan of your choice and we'll get to work with you right away. Again, it's never too early to get started. So hope this was helpful. If you have any suggestions about things you would like us to talk about, Again, I know I always say we're going to get back on this. We're going to keep the podcast going. We're going to start doing more videos. I am going to try that. I, I, I keep saying it, so I, I won't promise anything. I myself am going to be going back to school in about three weeks. So maybe I'll make some podcasts when I'm at school. I'm going back to uh, for a master's degree. And I'll still be doing this or we'll still all be doing this. But I'm going to be a student too pretty soon. So 
For those of you who know me, I've actually gone through this process myself this year. I mean, obviously, I'm not going back to PA school, but I did have to go through and do my application, uh, submit a statement of purpose, and then, of course, go through an interview. But it all worked because I'll be going to school soon. All right. Well, it's good to see everybody again. And like I said, I'm hoping that I'll, I'll get this back rolling again. But if you do have suggestions or ideas, things, topics, whatever you want us to talk about, feel free to drop us an email or just leave a comment and we'll try and do that. Thanks.